0: Kyle Brandt's Basement is brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook.
1: Hey, Kyle Brandt's Basement on a Monday. It is a holiday right now from school, so we might have interruptions from the children. They might be coming in. Let's hope not, because I have so much to talk about. The Panthers fired their head coach, Matt Rule. I think it's a huge bummer. I like Matt Rule. He brings a lot of positivity. It's kind of something we should root for. And he gone. Uh, We have to talk about the New York NFL teams, both the ones in New Jersey and the one that is actually in New York. We are going to do takes on takes. I think we have Rex Ryan versus Michael Irvin in takes on takes. Speaking of Rex Ryan, I'm wearing my Hard Knocks Jets crew shirt right here given to me by a friend named Garrett Fatizzi at NFL Films. This is a souvenir. This is like an old concert shirt from like the best tour of all time. Hard Knocks, New York Jets. Best Hard Knocks season ever. I would love to say our guys with the Lions this last year with Dan Campbell, but I'm just so crestfallen what's happened to the 2022 Lions. They suck. At least they were hanging their hat on a Man, the offense is amazing, but the defense is terrible. That they just got shut out. Can't get shut out at the professional level. It's just not acceptable, especially to like a meandering uh, Patriots team. But like I said, a lot of stuff to get to. Also, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's a very smart guy, just ask him, did what he does and comes out and says, now hold on, that would never happen. And he's got thoughts on Top Gun Maverick, is leading us to a conversation about what are the movie characters that, dude, totally would have died? There's no way they would survive. Like, what is the hall of fame of that? We have great submissions from you. They say Pete Mitchell wouldn't have survived that Mach 30 uh, cruise he was in. Who cares, really? But we'll get into it. And we have your submissions. But that's it. Let's get started. Let's play a little hoop, baby. Let's go to the sky cam. Three, two, one. Sky cam. I'm gonna go dribble, dribble, dribble. Release. I did a little upper body at the gym today. Not to brag, but this is probably gonna be awkward. Nah, Remy. No. Kind of a little bit of a of a Nick Young there. Yeah! I made... No, I didn't. I missed again. My percentage just plummeting. I'm coming for you, Ben Wallace. In the meantime, I'm going for what I love, what I hate, and what's hilarious. Uh, probably the best team in football is the Eagles. Right there with them, though, is the only team that actually plays in the state of New York, the Buffalo Bills. So forgive me, let's not split hairs on geography right here. I understand that they're the ones in New York, but I'm also going to say New York football. I just love it. I love it. I love it. I love that the Giants are 4-1. and I love that the Jets are 3-2. and Jets being 3-2 and feels like 13-0. I, I keep saying it. I- it feels like they haven't lost in months. Oh, it's so cool. And who cares? They beat the the Dolphins third string quarterback. I do not care. You know what else I find this hilarious? I'm on Good Morning Football this morning and I'm trying to give them some credit earnestly. I I, I really do feel that way. And I'm saying, man, Zach Wilson is tough. And he just put his head down. And he has like the least tough face you've ever seen. He is so cute. And he's so blue eyed and dimple faced. And you're like, that guy can't be tough. I think he's tough. I like that he ran for a touchdown, put his head down. Kind of did what Kyler Murray should have, which is lay out and sacrifice your body at a really important moment of the game. And you tweet that out there, and these these already like cynical, self-loathing Jets fans, you'd think they'd be nice to see that. It's week six now. Their team is actually getting talked about, by, about anything other than draft preparation. And all the responses are like, he didn't do anything. Imagine actually thinking Zach Wilson did something in this game. Tell me you didn't watch the game without telling me you didn't watch the game. I was like, guys, come on, I'm saying it was good. I'm not saying he threw for 600 yards. I'm not saying he carried you down the field. He did some good things. You won. It's a funny thing to me. You know, I've come to learn here. I've lived in New York now. I don't even live in New York City. I live outside New York, but I've lived here for six years. I'm not a native New Yorker by any stretch. And you come to learn the distinction between the Giants fans and the Jets fans. And I can't really put my finger on it yet because I think you have to be native to really do it. But man, they are so different. The Giants have had so much success in their lives. If you're a 30-year-old Giants fan, 40-year-old, 60-year-old, even like, even 20-year-old, you've had some great memories. Great lifetime memories of Super Bowl championships and great moments, iconic memories you'll never forget. The Jets fans haven't had squat. In over 50 years, they had Rex Ryan and Mark Sanchez. That was the high-water mark. So they're a little bit more jaded, a little bit more scarred, a little more beaten down. But don't be. Enjoy this. It's 3-2. And, and let me tell you, the Jets are going to Lambeau Field. And we were talking this morning. I, I think that, that Fox is going to send their, like, number one crew to that game. <laughs> it's a really weird Jets-Packers game. You don't see it much. Jets at Lambeau Field. Number one crew. Number one sideline. that is the game. The Jets versus the Packers, I think that's really cool. And I love that. I love it. Meanwhile, the Giants. I think the Giants fans are so excited, not, not only because of Saquon, not because they have this incredible four-in-one record that they flew all the way to London and win. This is what I've learned about Giants fans. Again, I've been here six years. I'm no New Yorker. I went to college in New Jersey, and I've lived here for six years. But I, I'm just I'm trying. And some of the, the Kyle Brandt space and the staff is much more knowing than I am. And they can just feel free to just buzz in if I'm wrong here. But uh, there are certain fan bases of different teams that really associate with one part of football let me tell you what i mean like the 49ers they are about great quarterbacks they are obviously montana and young and they will never sit here and, and like freak out about their coaches really outside of walsh like you don't hear when niners greatness comes up you're not like george seifert he was the man like he's our guy there's not a george seifert statue out there even though he had this incredible year in 94. The Niners are a quarterback organization. The Ravens are defense. That is their identity. That is what their fan base gravitates to. And that's why them winning last night against Cincinnati in a defensive showing really helps and really helps them. But they're all about Ray and T. Sizzle and Ed Reed. And you don't see them rally around coaches in the same way. Like There's not a a giant parade every time someone mentions Brian Billick, for example, or John Harbaugh, for that matter. Just different franchises gravitate to different things the New York Giants are about the head coach the fan base loves talking about the coaches they love referencing the coaches I think the ownership takes special pride in the coaches even more so than the players they're just like a head coach organization you can't go 10 seconds reflecting about the Giants with a Giants fan without the words Parcells or Coughlin coming up really and honestly even Jim Fossil he had that great moment about this team is going to the playoffs It just comes up. They talk about their coaches. So imagine if you are a coach-based organization and you have gone through just nonsense like they have. Joe Judge, disaster. Terrible, terrible era. They accomplished nothing. I think Pat Shermer was the coach for an hour or so. Like, I don't remember that. No one will ever remember that. And then before that, you got Benny McAdoo, who was all over the place and now is actually back in the news with Carolina and Matt Rule. But now they got a guy. They got Brian Dable. They got a guy who they respect as a head coach, who the players play hard for, who is probably already going to lock up coach of the year no matter what they do. If the Giants, by the way, if the Giants play 500 football for the rest of the season, they're 10 and 7. Like, they're, they're going to go to the playoffs. It's, it's almost all but assured, Sort of an injury to Saquon, which who knows, may happen. But they got a guy they believe in. And, like, Giants fans are at peace when they have a cool head coach. Or just one that coaches well or the one that coaches their butt off like they did against the packers they would rather have a coach they believe in than a quarterback they believe in which is i think where we are right now some guys like ah who cares roll the ball out there and let our quarterback have any coach -uh. these people were raised on classic good coaches they want one and they've been looking for one for years and it looks like they got one so that is why they're so excited daniel jones who cares gonna be a giant next year probably not saquon no idea But Brian Dayball's not going anywhere, and they got something they can build off of. And it's smart. It's the same thing I would look at with Sean McDermott with the Bills. They had a good head coach way before Josh Allen was there. They were in the playoffs before Josh Allen got there. He broke that dumb streak. Giants are fired up because they have a coach, and I'm fired up for them. Do you care? Do you care if you're listening to this in California or Colorado or Texas? Do you care that the Giants are like a bedrock organization for the NFL? I like it. I like when those teams matter, and I like that they got a coach. And I think it's actually – I don't like it. I love it. Let's get to what I hate, though. Come on. All right, so Matt Rule has been uh, terminated, as they say. He's been fired. He is no longer the head coach in Carolina. So is his defensive coordinator, Phil Snow, and Steve Wilkes, who was given exactly one season as the Arizona Cardinals head coach a few years back, the Josh Rosen rookie year season. He will now uh, assume control of the Carolina Panthers. Let's just run through this. quick. I hate that, that Matt Rule didn't work out. I hate it. Because Matt Rule is something that we want in this league. Uh, I've gotten a chance to be around him a little bit, you know, in interviews and things, and really fun, really energetic, not afraid to try to float a quote out there or make a reference. Youthful, positive, cool background in the terms of like really worked his way up and was a sensation in college. It would be fun if Matt Rule worked out. He is someone whose press conference you would look forward to when they're going to the playoffs or when they're hosting a big primetime game, if it worked out. It didn't. It was woefully, woefully um, inefficient. And his record is terrible. This He had a nine-game losing streak going back to last season, which they broke with their one win this year, and then it just kept continuing. Here, you want to run through the record of Matt Rule with his quarterbacks as a, as a head coach in the NFL? Let's well, start with the good. You know who is his best quarterback of the Matt Rule era? PJ Walker. He was 2-0 and with PJ Walker. Sure, Sam Darnold four and seven, Teddy Bridgewater four and eleven, Cam Newton zero oh and five. Remember that was like the recam when he came back and said, like, "I'm back." Zero oh and five didn't win a game, and then Baker Mayfield. That's where we are today: one and four, and looking just like a completely woeful, lost team. And he is gone. So. It's a fascinating examination of the college coaches coming to the NFL and I'm never a fan of it, never. I'm always skeptical, I'm always, I don't care how cool you are, how many championships you've won. I, 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 I don't understand the idea of taking a college coach and in bringing him to the pros, you take away what is likely his greatest asset, which is his ability to recruit Remember what I was saying about Matt Rule? He's gregarious, he's funny, he's interesting. That works when you're sitting there with the four-star player next to his parents in the living room, and you have to convince him to come to your school over that school, that school, and that school. That is gone. That is not a factor in the NFL. Your presence in the room, sure. Talking to the team, sure. But all that salesmanship is gone only in the very unusual or fleeting circumstances where maybe you have a free agent who's considering your team and one others but it's a totally different deal with massive money and it is not the same thing you're not talking to his parents that's why those coaches are good sure there's a lot of people who can do offense there's a lot of people who can give a speech there's a lot of people who can manage the clock it is the salesmanship that makes them amazing and also which makes them kind of greasy sometimes or snake oil salesman it is a specific skill that is, has no home in the NFL. You can recruit your butt off, but when it's on Sunday and it's a 1 p.m. kickoff, you're not going to the kid in Louisiana and saying, why don't you come to our school? I hate it. Imagine you at your job, you, you do this incredible thing, and your number one asset is maybe it's your energy or maybe it's your organization or maybe it's your work ethic or your ability to communicate, and you get a huge promotion, but you can't use that anymore. The new job says, you can communicate. We don't communicate here. It is not allowed. If you communicate, you're fired. That's what the college coach, the NFL thing is like. And I watched Matt Rule come in really exciting, not to mention the new owner. David Tepper is like this maverick who's self-made billionaire and I'm going to do things differently and I'm here to win. It all made sense. And he brings in Matt Rule and like, okay, this is a breath of fresh air. But how many times have we felt this quote unquote breath of fresh air from college? And how many times has it just been a, a disgusting flatulent? A lot. Let's just run them down. Recent hire, now I'm, I'm talking about pure college guys. You take someone like Bill O'Brien who was in the Belichick system, he was a Patriots assistant for a long time, goes to Penn State, does some great things there and then comes back and has some success with Houston, definite success, I don't count him. I count pure college guys like Matt Rule. Urban Meyer, okay? In the conversation for worst season by any coach in NFL history, okay? And he was like considered the best. Cliff Kingsbury, still waiting, no playoff games. He's been there, he got the quarterback he wanted, he's got a lot of talented players, no playoff games, up to and including yesterday, which was just this disaster of clock management and organization on the field. Cliff hasn't worked out. It hasn't. I like Cliff. It hasn't worked out. Uh, Greg Schiano, kind of embarrassed himself in the NFL. He's back at Rutgers now, and I respect him, but that is a college guy. Do you remember what Greg Sciano did? <laughs> Do you remember the dive at the ball while the other team is taking a knee in victory formation. I mean, he almost got some guys killed on the field trying to do that. Never worked out, terrible, didn't work out. Jim Harbaugh, that's your white knight. Jim Harbaugh, crazy, kooky, eccentric, bizarre personality, Jim Harbaugh, from University of San Diego to Stanford to the Super Bowl. And now back at Michigan and mixed results. But he is the, he's the standard. Because after that, Chip Kelly, Hot for one second, terrible, off the radar. The only person who contends, you answer me this. Who had a worse season as a so-called college stud who says, I can do this, I'll go to the NFL. Was it Urban Meyer replaced in the middle of year one? Or was it Atlanta Falcons coach Bobby Petrino resigns in the middle of year one? I don't know. It's it's, it's, it's I, I think it actually is Urban Meyer. Because Bobby Petrino was... Um, really a greaseball, and stabbed his players in the back and left them a form letter in their lockers after a loss saying, uh, it's been an honor, but I'm going to go coach Arkansas. He's just like, look, I got this great offer. I'm out of here. I'm sorry. This is too big for me. This sucks. I'm going to go back to coaching college. Urban Meyer was just like this completely insipid, cold, demeaning person who didn't even travel back with them on the on the road trip because he was playing tiddlywinks with some co-ed in a bar, allegedly, and just got fired in the middle of the season. I think it'd be worse. But this is my point. Nick Saban, ridiculous. He made the Culpepper decision over Breeze, but he was going anyway. He wanted the Alabama job. Steve Spurrier, that was the one. We're going to get the band back together. It's no no big deal. I'm a college coach. I'm just going to coach on Sundays, and here's what I'll do. I'll take Danny Werfel and uh, Chris Doring and every other player, every coach of Florida, and it'll be the same thing. We'll just run the Spurrier offense, and we're just going to go up and down the field like we're back in the ACC playing against Wake Forest. Did not work out. (laughs) Disaster. (laughs) Disaster. And these are the best guys. These are the best college coaches of like the last 30 years. Great college coaches. Uh, Butch Davis, no. Just on and on and on. So you look at these guys like Lincoln Riley or Dabo or anybody like that and you're like, why do you even want to make the jump? I understand Matt Rule is a different guy. Like why did Urban Meyer really want to come coach the Jaguars? Coach Trevor Lawrence? The money now in college is so big And I think the answer to it is just the NFL's bigger. It's the peak. It's the mountaintop. Winning a Super Bowl is a bigger deal than winning a national championship. And people always want to know if Saban's going to go back. No way. He would have done it years ago. He embarrassed himself in Miami. He got that taste, though. He got the taste and knows it's not for him. Urban Meyer's never had the taste some of these other guys in their days maybe they'll go there but it almost resoundingly doesn't work out and it's always so exciting I always win the press conference because it's a very famous person who kicked a lot of ass in college and just was very um, outgoing and big and you're like wow we got the cool coach most likely you do not you do not want the college coach trust me you do not and there will be another but Matt rule is a cautionary tale looked like a great hire disaster. Maybe it's because this year he wanted to save his job by bringing in Ben McAdoo and Baker Mayfield. And I get it, man. I get it, Matt. I love Baker Mayfield, too. I was seduced just like you. But he gone, and it's a shame, because he would have been a great asset to the NFL, and I was rooting for him. Uh, I'm also rooting for all things hilarious, and a lot of times these days, they're coming from the state of Texas. So let's get to what's hilarious. Come on, Jerry! I'll have what Jerry Jones is having right now. That old man is is tickled pink with the state of things, and he's got a glow in his eyes, and he's got that smile on his face because the Cowboys are winning, and they haven't lost in a month, and there's all this talk, and they're back here, and they're in my show, and they're in every show, and it's this feeling of, well, the best is yet to come, and now we're in Eagles week, and this is the biggest Cowboys game in a while. You got four and one versus five and oh, and um, he's asked, he gets in that scrum that he does, the scrum with microphones coming out of his ears and going around his neck, and it's, it's always someone behind him. It's always like this over the shoulder weird angle. It's never the person right in front. I don't know why we can't get someone to arrange that better, but he also does his weekly radio hit. This is not that. This is just the, like the post-game scrum. And he's asked about, you know, is what are we doing with the quarterback then? Cooper Rush never loses. Dak's kind of coming back soon. Jerry, what do you think?
2: Good. Dak is the, uh, is the number one quarterback. Dak is our our, our guy. Uh, but isn't it great that somebody came in and played well enough so Absolutely. that we can ask that question? That's my point.
1: It is great, Jerry. It, it, the, the further point though is are you gonna sit that man down if he beats the Eagles I've been on this hard and I know those people really disagree with me but from what I heard this morning I was talking to my guy Ian Rappaport of NFL and he says the thing from what I understand is that Dak is not gonna be back this week it's early but he is not likely to practice Wednesday which means not terribly likely for Thursday so especially against the 5-0 team when he hasn't played in a month probably Dak Prescott's not gonna go as I've always thought he wasn't gonna go and also Because Cooper Rush never loses and never throws interceptions. So just riddle me this. The Cowboys go and they play the Eagles and they win. And it's the same deal. And Cooper Rush throws for 165 yards, one touchdown, no picks. Tony Pollard has a touchdown. Zeke has a touchdown. And they win... 21 to 19 over the Eagles and knock the Eagles off in the unbeaten. Oh my gosh, there's no undefeated teams anymore. The Eagles are five and one and so are the Cowboys and we got a tie at first place and they actually have first place because they just beat the Eagles. Are you sitting down Cooper Rush? You sure? You sure? Dak is the future. No doubt. Is he the present? I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't. You have a five game win streak. How many times do I have to say this? I'm, I'm going to be so mad if they sit him down but the fun part if they sit him down is that what if Dak comes back and is rusty as hell, and he does throw three interceptions? Because Dak has that game in him, maybe. (laughs) Then then I got to go to the scrum. Because what if that winning streak that Cooper Rush was the orchestrator of, maybe the manager of, comes to a screeching halt, and Dak doesn't have him? I just think, look, money, sure. Talent, sure. Leadership, sure. Future, sure. It is all Dak Prescott. And this is not some ridiculous Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe situation. And yet, momentum, chemistry, team, locker room, rhythm, it is all there. It's not pretty. I think Cooper rushed through for like 92 yards this weekend. They won. I don't care. They beat the Rams. They got enough done. To take that and say, we love you, you just won five in a row, and you beat the undefeated Eagles, now you go sit down right over there. And I don't even give credit to Mike McCarthy making the decision. I just always think it's Jerry because it's Jerry. And... They sit him down. I don't know. I, I hate it. I think it would risk a lot. And it, it's, it's not what I see on the field. And it's not what I see them continuing to do. And look, Dak's a team guy. Dak understands. And you can keep milking that thing about, hey, just not gripping the ball that well yet. I wouldn't do it. And then if you say, what if they win six, seven, eight in a row? Then what do you tell Dak? You say, Dak, we're winning six, seven, eight in a row. Take it easy. We got a long future here, but we have something really special going on right now, and stick with Cooper Rush. It's awesome. It's, it, it all comes to a screeching halt, of course. And believe me, Philadelphia, I hear you. If Cooper Rush throws his first three picks of the season against the Eagles and they get crushed, which they might because the Eagles are great, then it's fine. Then it's over, and that was a nice run. Let me tell you something. If that SOB, Cooper Rush, wins this game against the Eagles, you better don't. You better don't sit him down. Don't do it, Jerry. Don't It'll you'll, you'll mess this thing up. Now, that will be really hilarious. But in the meantime, I'm Team Cooper Rush. I'm also Team Takes on Takes. Let's go. It's going to be a good one.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you're at your best, you can do great things. But sometimes, life gets you bogged down, and you may feel overwhelmed or like you're not showing up in the way that you want to. Working with the therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you, because when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything life throws at you. I've been going to therapy for years, and having somebody listen to me without judgment is the most important thing. Now, if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: All right, you know how this works. Takes on takes. We uh, collect some things from the media at large. They've been talking this morning. It's a Monday morning after an NFL season. Everybody's got opinions on everything. And we take exactly two combatants. They they come into the ring, and I give them a number. I listen. I learn. I point things out. I have a unique perspective that I, I do what these people do for a living. I sit at a desk on live TV and talk about football. So I know some behind-the-scenes things that go into making this happen, plus I'm just like you. I'm hearing this for the first time. Two takes I have never heard before, but the staff has put together. It says here that the first one that we will judge based on delivery, creativity, and a little bit of heat, the first one comes from ESPN's Get Up, where Rex Ryan. By the way, I've been watching uh, the other night, Brooke and I on Friday night, we sat down and we watched The Amazing Race program on CBS, which is Rex Ryan is in. He's in one of the teams. And it's him and like his buddy, his golfing buddy, it's not, it's not like Mark Sanchez or Thomas Jones or Nick Mangold or somebody like that. It's his golfing buddy and Rex is there and he's getting after it and he's, he's just a whole hell of a lot of giant white teeth. You can't stop looking at Rex's teeth, which works, I guess, but he's running through Europe or wherever the hell they are. He's doing a good job. So, but this time he's running through takes and he's got some words For Los Angeles Chargers coach Brandon Staley after a very interesting end to the Browns game. A game in which the Chargers won, but here's Rex Ryan's thoughts. Let's go.
2: Are you kidding me here?
1: What? I mean, this is absolutely (laughs) atrocious. Right here, no. Punt the ball. Hey, I got a plan for you, Brandon Staley. I can give you a play that almost guarantees you 45 play, 45 yards. Right. It's called a punt. Punt the damn football. You win the game. Right here, you gave the Browns a chance. Yep. And here's the, I love it. Analytics says that you, it papers, <laughs> if you go for it. Oh, really? Does like analytics know <laughs> anything about having a backup quarterback in or anything else? Anybody with a brain can tell you, hey, you know what? Brandon? saying you're a smart guy. You ain't as smart as Bill Walsh. You ain't as smart as Bill Parcells. You ain't as smart as any other Bill that's ever coached right here. <laughs> Grow up. You're not a Division Three coach. All right, You have a team that has probably the second or third best roster in the National Football League. You kept them out of the playoffs mm-hmm. last year. Don't do it again with this crap. All right, that's pretty good. A lot of things to like there. You always get points in this segment for referring to the NFL as the, quote, National Football League. So points for that. Uh, was that a nerd voice I caught in there? That The analytics say, I like that. That's when you know you see the tweet where they do like one uppercase letter, one lowercase, one uppercase, one lowercase. I like that. Um, There was a weird inside baseball thing there if you're watching the clip. This is so in the weeds, but they're in the wide shot of the whole table and Rex is starting his rant and he's talking to his camera because he wants to make it all impactful and direct. And for whatever reason, the director's stand on the four shot. So it's this shot of him not looking at his co-host and actually looking at his camera. That actually was a little awkward for me. And I actually have to deduct him a little bit. Watch it back. You'll see what I'm talking about. He's waiting to talk to his camera and then he doesn't. Or maybe he's looking at the monitor. But there is a little TV mechanic thing that's a little bit off. I like that he ended with crap. I like that he pulled from the headlines. Uh, and I like that he was true to himself. Um, I try to imagine Rex Ryan if he's when he's playing in the in the playoff games against Belichick, what was it, 12 15 years ago, right after he was doing the hard knocks jet season, if someone had come up to him and said, uh, well, coach, actually I, I did some calculations here and you should actually uh throw to Braylon Edwards on this fourth and two instead of punting, what he would have done with that analytics. I think he probably would have done what Indians manager Lou Brown does with uh Corbin Burnson's no calisthenics clause in his contract, which is to take it out uh, remove his um, manhood and urinate on it. Probably right there on the sideline. That's a pretty fun take. Rex Ryan's only been in the segment one time and he got a four. And um, that was better. Heat, crap, nerd voice, National Football League. I have to take some points away for the uh, the, the TV mechanic misconstrued um, camera. So I'm going to go six. I'll go six. It did make me laugh. Maybe I, I, I would have given him a seven, but... Just the, like, I don't know, daily morning show TV nerd thing in me was bothered by where his his, eyes, his eye contact was going. And you don't care about that, but I do. That's a six. And it's a beatable score. I love you, Rex. I'm watching you on CBS. I hope you win the whole race. I could probably go online and find out that you don't, or you do. But here we go. The lights come down. Here comes the, the Gary Glitter, because we got, like, a champ coming in, uh, making his fourth appearance in Takes on Takes having scored a six, a seven, and yes, folks, a nine, is a Hall of Famer, former Dallas Cowboy, number 88, Michael Irvin, with a take. You won't believe this. I hope I'm reading this right. I'm
0: the Dallas Cowboys. Let's just see it. Go ahead, Irv. This defense right now, is no doubt to me right now the best defense in the NFL. And this is a defense that can get a team to the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm kind of tampering. I I, I want to go crazy, but I'm looking right on the forefront right here, right right, what's in front of me, which is the Philadelphia Eagles. So I want my Cowboys to enjoy all of this victory, all of this love. But you not pat yourself on the back. All day long because we got business at hand right in front of our eyes. Because everybody here has already crowned the Eagles as the champ. The same place my career ended. We are about to go back to it. And we're going to snatch victory out of this thing right here. And when we do, when we do, everybody shall settle down. And I'm going to tell you something, man. We're going to give you some room on this bus. Because y'all going to come on across. You're going to come on across the water now. (laughs) and, and, And we're not even at our best. Think about this. Think about that. Think about this. <laughs> we got Tyron Smith. Who oh, he's a coming. He's a coming. He's a coming. And I and, and they will find someone for Tyron Smith. And then I, and, and then you got Dak Prescott. He's a coming. He's a coming. He, you gonna have that defense and the quarterback gonna have three hundred yards passing. It's going to be simply put to bed. The <laughs> Dallas Cowboys are the best team in the NFL, baby. And we are ready and we are rolling. <laughs> That took a jump at the end. <laughs> that really elevated quickly,
1: jumped up a notch. Look, maybe Irv is not for everyone. I, I sit there in that clip. Orlovsky is just <laughs> to his left with this smile on his face, like a kid in a school picture in first grade. That's how I feel. <laughs> You're just like, I- I'm just going to stay out of the way of this. I'm not doing the full shtick like like Stephen A's is doing. I'm just gonna sit here and just amuse. Um, that jumped up a notch, okay? Um, you kind of get a little bit glazed over because it's Irv talking about the Cowboys like always. And so, you're like, all right, another thing with Irv and the Cowboys. All right, we like it. It keeps the people, play the hits, right? It's fine. And then he starts saying, um, I like the take about there's room on the bus. That's kind of a cool perspective and a little uh, illustration he's making of that you're gonna be coming over. Um, part of me just really likes and this is the first take magic i'm already looking forward to the monday show if and when the cowboys lose <laughs> cuz that's kind of fun and i just have to say though that <sighs> when he come he, he didn't have to it was like he he had already won the game but as the clock is winding down it was like this the players on the nba are they're already like shaking hands and good game and everything and Irv decided to just grab the loose ball, and there's three, two, one, and just jump off from the free throw line and do a between the legs tomahawk just to amuse the fans. And that was him getting in at the buzzer that they're the best team in the NFL, which is just awesome. And I don't know, maybe they are, but I didn't need that. And it was like, you're, you're sitting at the table, you're getting prepared to respond to what Irv's saying, if you're Orlovsky or Molly or Stephen A., and you're saying, all right, we're in the best. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you just say the best team in the NFL? And that's the magic of Irv. So, listen, he's a tough beat, guys. And we got another win from Michael Irvin. It's a seven. It's not his nine. It's not, it's not as funny. It's not quite as foaming at the mouth as it usually was. But I gave him a seven. He gets the victory over Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan, maybe he'll win a million bucks in the amazing race. But right now, uh, the amazing streak in the takes on takes thing goes to Michael Irvin who really is one of the best in the game and he gets a seven and he wins but now we have to get to our guy Sam Pepper real name not a stage name he's already made all the jokes he was discouraged from being a doctor so he'd be Dr. Pepper he couldn't be in the military so he'd be Sergeant Pepper but he's our Pepper our red hot chili in fact Sam Pepper who always keeps us aware in a segment that we call Brandt awareness spin the newspaper
3: hello Sam how are you I'm good I'm good Kyle. how are you doing Sam
1: you have a, a keen um, palette for sports talk and morning shows and everything do you did you see that uh, takes on takes the same way I did I had it seven to six over Michael Irvin and feel free to disagree
3: no I, I think that's right I the problem is though Michael Irvin now is setting the bar so high that if he mm-hmm. doesn't hit that note every time I think you got to start downgrading him a little bit.
1: Yeah, I hear that. And God, you know, Mike is kind of like this thing where he comes on a show. And I've been on shows with him where people are like, just do the Michael Irvin thing. And like, <laughs> that's got to be tough. Like, he's not, this is not a 32 year old man. Like, Mike's been around. I, I'm going to venture to guess, he, Mike's done a little bit of hard living, you know, but like, he, he's got himself back on the rails. And he just is always expected to do the Michael Irvin thing day after day. So, You're right, I think moving forward in future takes on takes, we'll have to keep that in mind. But, and then again, he's just stacking W's
3: here. He is, he is, I mean, I I love Rex, but I think Michael got that one. All right, but let's get down to the headlines. First up, Monday Night Football tonight, the one and three Raiders visit the three and one Chiefs, and that's music to Patrick Mahomes' ears. He's seven one against the Raiders in his career, and the Chiefs have an average winning margin of more than 22 points in those games. Kyle, do the Raiders have any shot tonight?
1: Yeah, they probably have a shot. I, I know the only win that they have was in Arrowhead, and it was the infamous John Gruden laps with the Buffs around Arrowhead Stadium. And the notable wide receiver for the Raiders that day is in prison right now. So like a lot has changed, <laughs> a lot's changed since then. I don't know, they have a shot, sure. The Mahomes looked so good last week. And I, I mean, I'm taking the Chiefs here for the same reason that I look at what the Bills did in Buffalo or against Pittsburgh this past week and the Chiefs now are on a Monday night and a short week going against the Raiders. Here's the deal. The Chiefs Raiders, not that big of a deal. Certainly Bills Steelers, not that big of a deal. The biggest regular season game on the schedule, folks, is this weekend at Arrowhead Stadium when the Buffalo Bills go to the Kansas City Chiefs. That's the one. That's Super Bowl 56 and a half. It is the biggest game. It is the one everyone wants to see. It's gonna do the biggest ratings. It's a monster. It is the first time they've played since the coin toss, the 13 seconds. Josh Allen playing a perfect game and losing, all that stuff. And believe me, we are going to talk a lot about it tomorrow with Josh. Josh will be here, and I don't know how he's going to respond to the questions. If he's going to go into, you know, it's just it's just another game, and we're going to do our best to prepare, and maybe he will. Or if he says, look, I know what time it is. This is a history we have with these guys, and we're going to play them. So, I, I, listen, This I was worried. I mean, I wasn't worried. I was aware that there was an opportunity for the Bills this past week to overlook the Steelers with their first time starting rookie quarterback coming to their house and maybe play a sloppy game and have to really count on a field goal at the end of the game. No, it was one sided of football game you'll ever see. Razor focus, they just destroyed the Steelers. I would think the same focus would be there for the Chiefs. They know what's going on this weekend and they know they gotta focus on this one and that the worst thing that could possibly happen to them and frankly to us as spectators who wanna see Bills Chiefs next weekend is scrappy Derek Carr pulls some throws out, Devontae goes for 190 yards, and oh my God, the Chargers win 34 to 33, and the Chiefs lose, and now have to go back home. I, I don't know, the, the Raiders got off the map, they're one and three, they just never, still never looked like a great team. They, I'm just not ready to do it. The, the Chiefs look too good. I mean, something I'm missing here, Sam, like is there some sort of X factor through which the Raiders could just shock the world tonight? I'm just not ready to go there.
3: No, I don't see it either. If it was at home, maybe, but I don't even know if they have mm-hmm. a great hometown advantage, really, in Vegas. So I'm not. I'm not really sure there's anything. I mean, there's always the division game factor, but we just said it seven and one is seven and one. So I know. I know. All right. Um, uh, this this next one. What else you got? Yeah, this next one. I just want on the record that I didn't want to make you aware of this. I was forced into it. Um, to baseball, <laughs> the Mets were eliminated by the Padres last night in the wild card round. They were absolutely dominated by Joe Musgrove. So much so that in the sixth inning, Buck Showalter asked the Umps to check Musgrove's ears for a foreign substance. Yeah. The check proved fruitless. Buck said after the game, he's charged with doing what's best for the New York Mets, and that was the move. <laughs> Kyle, what did you make of what went down? All
1: right, so I'm watching the Monday Night Football game, and I, I'll just be on cards on the table. I'm not paying attention to baseball a ton right now. I probably should be, but I don't know. If I worked for MLB Network in the morning, I would be paying attention to more. So the reason I bring it up, I wake up this morning, and since I go to bed very early comparatively to other people, my morning check the phone routine is a different deal. There's a lot of text, there's a lot of emails, sometimes there'll be a note from my wife, and there's there'll be all sorts of things that happen after I went to bed in the world. Like I remember waking up to find out uh, about the Oscars thing at the end where they messed it up and Jimmy Kim was up there and they read the wrong best picture. I remember waking up to uh, learn that Trump had won the election. Like I, just, I wake up to stuff that most people don't because sometimes I go to bed at like 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. So this morning I get to the phone and you know it's, it's all this text and whatever and then it's like I start to look at what happened last night and I just see these weird images and it's this umpire and he's, he's dealing with this pitcher and he's doing this on his ears. It's really, I, I'm like what the hell is this? And then I see people tweeting about it, and I don't understand the context. So when you wake up at 4.30, and you're starting to think about Bengals Ravens, and you're disoriented, you don't know where to put that. Like, What the bleep is going on, and why is there an image? Because it clearly wasn't like a, his own coach who was doing it, and even if it was his coach, why would he be rubbing his ears? Why would anybody be rubbing his ears? And then you start to see the responses. That old buck, like wily old buck, who's, who's been around the block 50 different times, pulled some stuff. It, se- and it seems to me that he was trying like to save our ship. Y- 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 get in here, Sam. I want your thoughts on this. This seemed to be a um, desperate break glass in case of emergency. Like we're about to end. Let me just try something nuts and maybe I can rattle the pitcher. Is that where you read it? Or was there a real threat that the guy was cheating or was Buck like, Look, we got a couple innings left, and this season's going to be over, and it's an un- unmitigated disaster. Let me try something crazy and see if I can get in this guy's head.
3: I think it's somewhere it, its somewhere around that, but the internet was going absolutely was crazy about it for a couple innings. Okay. Absolutely crazy about Tell it me. for a couple innings. His ears were shiny. His curveballs were <laughs> breaking off like Barry Zito meets <laughs> Sandy Koufax. Okay. And, uh, and I guess that reached the management of the Mets, which reached the dugout for the Mets. I... I wasn't upset that he did it. I was just upset that he waited to do it. You know, if you wait till the sixth inning, it feels like that desperation move that you're talking about. Whereas if you do it in the third inning, you're actually checking right. for something. So wait, do you do you, do you you think or do the consensus think that he actually was cheating? Well, there was definitely something going on because that's not how human beings really? sweat. It also wasn't hot. So that was weird. Um, uh, Andrew McCutcheon <laughs> said that a lot of players, pitchers put hot sauce on their ears. Um, sure, because it keeps them focused in some weird way. So that's what he said it was. He said it was red hot. Okay, but there's definitely something going on there. Listen, a couple of years ago, it seemed like almost every pitcher was, was putting something on there until that Spider Tech uh, breakdown came down. So, so way, McCutcheon's
1: it, take is that no, he wasn't doctoring the ball. Yeah, but pitchers are these weird psychological warrior weirdos who, so as to stay alert, they put Frank's red hot behind their ears. That's the take.
3: Well, yeah, the rumor is I believe that I forgot if it was Brandon McCarthy said it. Somebody said it that Jake Peavy used to yeah. put it on his uh, nether regions, uh, and he learned that from Roger Clemens uh, back in the day. So um, you know, it is what it is. Teach the wait. Own. So
1: Jake Peavy and Clemens allegedly put hot sauce like on their genitals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Why? <laughs> what is that? I, I, I guess it's oh keeps my
1: focused, I, I don't really know. I, well listen, the only thing I've heard like that was that Nate Burleson used to tell stories when he came in the league and he played most of his career in Minnesota and Detroit. And, and so like players would play, they have to play in Lambeau, they have to play in Chicago, and he said that players would come from the SEC who had never been in any atmosphere that was like less than 65 degrees in their whole lives. And then they'd have to go to Lambeau in like the first week of January and it was negative 25. And he said that they would have these home remedies that like their parents would tell them or something in <laughs> which they would, it's not what, it's not the X rated one or kind of R rated like you're talking about, but that they would put um, like cayenne pepper inside their socks, like just empty the whole thing of like the McCormick spice and then pull their socks off because they believed. That the heat from the pepper would make their feet warm, and they'd put it in their gloves and everything. So I've never heard of anything like that. Sam, honestly, you, you've done a lot of producing. You've done Fox stuff. You've done all know kinds where of this things. Is going. Have you ever once gone with the hot sauce in your nether region just to fire you up for a show?
3: I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I'd never <laughs> have, never have. Um, what about your I personal have- life? No, it never personal life. <laughs> uh, never, never did I think I'd be discussing it either. So you know, terrible, what Kyle terrible. All right, well, wow. Brings, yeah. That's
1: talking baseball on Kyle Brand's basement. <laughs> Let's talk something go. else. I heard right, well, Neil well, deGrasse well, Tyson wanted to yeah, show exactly. everyone how smart he is ba- as usual. What do you exactly. got?
3: Exactly. Neil deGrasse Tyson finally saw Top Gun Maverick. Kyle and he had this to say. He yeah. tweeted when Maverick ejected at Mach ten point five. He was going 7,000 miles per hour, giving him 400 million (laughs) joules of kinetic energy, the explosive power of 100 kilograms of TNT situation that makes human physiology that that human physiology is not designed to survive. So no, Maverick does not walk away from this. He be dead, very dead. Kyle, do you have a response?
1: Well first, I think it lends even more credence as if we needed it to that fun internet theory that Maverick spends most of the movie in some sort of heaven state and everything goes perfect and he gets the girl and he makes up with Goose's son and he's on the boat. It's all very dreamlike. So I like anything that lends credence to that. Two, I don't care what DeGrasse Tyson says, I still think Tom Cruise could survive that. I don't know about Pete Mitchell, fine. But I feel like Tom Cruise could survive that. I, don't, I know the science doesn't work out. I don't care. I've watched that man for enough years that I think if you put 100 milligrams uh, of TNT in the same region that Roger Clemens apparently puts hot sauce, I still think Tom Cruise is walking out of it. So I don't care about that. I don't. We know, dude, it's Top Gun. Like There's, there's a lot of things that wouldn't happen. Hey, Neil, the pilots, they don't play football on the beach with offense going at the same time against each other. It, it's licensed. Maverick wouldn't be able to just take a jet. There's a lot of things. And there's always Buzzkill City, but that's what he does. More importantly, Sam Pepper, I heard that we asked certain people, meaning our viewers and listeners and followers, that if we're going to assume that Maverick, no way would he have survived the ejection, what are some of the real Hall of Famers of characters that no way they would have survived? All right, and this is great. This guy, Ben, says, Wyatt Earp in Tombstone... Running into the direct middle of a shootout, yelling, No, <laughs> no. I've always thought this is one of the strangest scenes in an otherwise excellent movie, climactic shootout versus the Cowboys with their red scarves and Earp and et al. And did they, like, did they run out of budget? And they're like, Listen, Kirk, we got to wrap this up soon. I know there's a lot of legends about Wyatt. Here's how we're going to do this. Just run into the river and start yelling no, and they'll just miss you and you blow them all away. It's the strangest thing. No. And he just starts blasting them all. It's very strange. It, 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 nobody shots him down. He's wading into the river. Just always cracked me up. Great movie. That scene, a little much. Kyle Green says, okay, here we go. Now we're going to Tolkien. These are characters, there's just no way they would have lived, a la Maverick, according to Neil deGrasse Tyson. Frodo. Got stabbed like three times, and starved, and was in a coma after a giant spider attacked him. Frodo went through a lot. Kyle, I, I'm, I'm. Frodo, Frodo went through a, a ton. He got stabbed by uh, a Mordor blade. He did have a giant spider, not only put him in a coma, but wrap him in, in webs. I think he had lembas bread though, so that fills the stomach of a grown man just with a small bite. So I can't see you and. Plus he had heart, and he had magic, and he had. Uh, Ethereal, or whatever that armor was called, it's alright. Frodo, it's also, it's, 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 that's fantasy stuff. I want the reality. Oh, we're going more. This guy says, Gandalf fell off a cliff when pulled by a Balrog, yes. Fell through time and space forever. (laughs) Came back Snow White. I have no response to that, that's just a funny thing. He came back Snow White with like, with a conditioned hair and a new staff. Gandalf the White, what's next? Can we have something based, at least a movie that's trying to be based in reality? Alright, this is, <laughs> I don't know if this is qualified. Owen Kinski says, The obvious one is Indiana Jones and the fridge. Setting aside the nuke, he would have snapped his neck the instant the fridge landed. Let me unpack that. This is from Indiana Jones and the crappy crappy blah blah blah. The Crystal Skull, AKA uh, Shia LaBeouf swinging with cartoon monkeys through the jungle. There's a point where Indy is in this made-up town that's designed to test nuclear blasts. A nuke goes off, like a, a full-ass nuke, and he gets inside a 1950s refrigerator and closes it and seals it or something, and then get the, the, the fridge gets blasted like a mile in the air and Indy is okay. You know what's an interesting sidebar on that? Not a quick sidebar. We haven't done one of those in a while. I'll get back to them, but interesting sidebar on that. For a while, the phrase, jump the shark, when something stops being cool or starts to be ridiculous, was briefly replaced in the internet speak with, it nuked the fridge. In other words, when Indiana Jones stopped being cool, it nuked the fridge. When something is no longer interesting or funny, it nuked the fridge. Had a hot moment. We went back to jump the shark, but nuked the fridge. What else? I like this topic. Characters that no way they would have survived. Ron Patrick says Roy Scheider in Jaws. He got the ultimate lucky shot off. Great pull. End of Jaws, the ship is sinking. Uh, We already know what happened to the other people, and Dreyfus is somewhere scuba diving. But Roy Scheider's got a rifle, and he's on the the very tip of the bow, and it's about to go down. And as it would happen, Jaws got a scuba tank in his mouth, and Roy Scheider's got a rifle and goes, Smile, you son of a BOOM! And he blasts the scuba tank, and it explodes, and the shark goes everywhere. Interesting note about that. Uh, Peter Benchley, who wrote the novel, Jaws, um, had a totally different ending in the book, in which uh, the shark takes a lot of uh, spears and punishment, and he's in the water with the Roy Scheider character, and eventually the shark is coming up to Roy Scheider is gonna eat him and he kinda just succumbs to his wounds and dies kind of gracefully in the water. Spielberg says, I hate that ending. I need something dramatic, I need to see people scream. And so he comes up with this cockamamie thing with the rifle and the scuba tank. Peter Benchley says, Steven, it's a ridiculous ending. It would never happen. What are you talking about? Steven says, I don't care. I want to see that thing explode. I want people to cheer. I got Scheider saying the line. Bam. And I think Spielberg was right. Obviously, everyone else did too. Anything else? I don't I don't only have so many interesting little nuggets for you people. All right, Dan Serafin hits the headliner here. Yes, come on. We, we can't get through this. This is like saying, well, what are the best shooting guards in the NBA from North Carolina and not saying number 23? Harry and Marv's ability, these guys right here, Harry and Marv's ability to walk after the evenings they went through in both home alones. It's a great call. Um, It's obviously farce and ridiculous, Um, and there's always that website that does the complete list of punishings that Harry and Marv go through, including nail in the foot iron to the face, paint bucket to the face. Um, they really, really get destroyed. The, honestly, I find the most entertaining part of Home Alone now, as an adult, I like watching back and hearing Joe Pesci uh, be mad, but not use profanity. Because this is right when he did Goodfellas. Joe is one of the biggest guys in the world, and Goodfellas is F this, F that all the time. And when he st- when he falls down the stairs, it's always like, why you little prudu, 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 prudu. like he he can't swear it's it's supposed to be a children's movie so that had to be really tough for Pesci and I it tells me there's a lot of outtakes probably where he just lets it slip but I'm gonna get that little pri pri it doesn't even make sound even English but they can't swear so that's the most entertaining part and then they got into home alone too lost in New York and it just turns into this like psychotic masochistic snuff film where they're all but you know electrocuting them via their nether region again with the Roger Clemens hot sauce it's a lot it's a lot and even Marv turns into a skeleton at one point (laughs) McAllister is a sick little bleeper but that's a great example I would also say uh, we're gonna have Josh Allen back on tomorrow he's gonna give his review of The Fugitive which he's never seen before I don't know if dr. Kimball is jumping off that dam and surviving now Kimball's in great shape we see it when he takes his shirt off to shave in the hospital room. He's, he's got that Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones body. Looks excellent. But he jumps off, and he just like dives like head first. He doesn't even try to do its, it, that must be a 300 foot fall into giant rapids, and God knows what kind of concrete down there. I don't know if he would survive that. Um, and a lot of the people thought he wouldn't either. But um, Tommy Lee kind of knew it. So that's it. That's the list. Um, the Kyle Brandt-based staff, Brand staff suggestion was Wile Coyote, which is just a full cartoon Acme rocket right to the face, run off the cliff, realize you're not on the cliff, hold up a sign that says goodbye. That's pretty much what all of these equate to. That's kind of the goat, which is actually a coyote. But that's it. Thanks, Sam. Great job. Oh, Sam, wait, did we miss any? Did you have a submission? Get in here. Why not? Why not, Why not take it longer? What'd you have?
3: I got one. Um got? and Die Hard. I mean, he was clearly dead, right? Like the, mm. the, the long blonde uh, guy with the machine gun. I mean, he was hanging with chains, you know? like. And then somehow, next time we see him, he's walking yep. out, pretending to be a hostage. Gotta be. Gotta
1: That's be a good it. submission. I, I find it interesting, Sam, that you would go with the movie Die Hard, but not the guy jumping off the building with a fire <laughs> hose around his waist. <laughs> like, there's a lot in that movie that probably shouldn't... But probably. you're talking about the great, late uh, Alexander Gudinov, yep. who plays Carl, who is actually hung. And he's sitting there unconscious with a chain around his neck. and. He's dead, and then he comes out because they have to have they had to fulfill Carl's uh, redemption story about pulling his gun out, and he saves him at the end. Kind of a nice moment at the end, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a beautiful,
3: it's a beautiful moment um, for sure. Yeah,
1: huge I mean, disparity I... between Carl and his brother though. Carl's brother dies just falling down the stairs like that. That was easy for him, and he's got small feet too. Clearly, the beta
3: of the brothers. What were you gonna add? And uh, just a real quick, there's a new internet conspiracy yeah. theory that Kevin McAllister grew what? up to be Jigsaw from the Saw movies. Just just putting it out <laughs> there. But that's for another day.
0: <laughs> Wanna play a game?
1: I'm gonna throw bricks at your head and set up my micro-machines. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you thank you very much, Sam. I love that segment. We could keep doing that all day, but we can't because we have to say goodbye. You know how we do this. Let's go to Skycam. Go to the Skycam, my friends! There it is. I have a dart. I've been throwing them for the whole show just to amuse myself, but I have one left with that old Union Jack on it, and I will throw it at the dartboard you see right over there. Whatever number it lands on, there's a list of 20 topics. That number that corresponds to a topic, which I haven't seen. I will ad-lib as we go to the Peloton and end the show. And today's topic will be corresponding to number... Number eight. Number eight. Give me number eight. What do you got? What do you got for number eight? Do you believe in ghosts? Hmm. Imagine that being the question. (laughs) Wait till we like do this a few months from now and the guys are just coming up with just, who knows? Um, We haven't even gotten to, so are you crunchy or creamy peanut butter yet? We'll get there. Do you believe in ghosts? I've never seen one. I've never had that experience. And I'm when it comes to all that stuff. I'm, I'm usually kind of an annoyingly scientific-based guy. But I'll tell you this: I have seen the major motion picture Three Men and a Baby," directed by Leonard Nimoy. You heard me right. Sorry, Ted Danson. Um, Ted Danson, uh, Steve Guttenberg, and Tom Selleck with a brief appearance by Nancy Travis at the end. And I don't care what you're going to send me online, I don't care what you're going to tweet me, I don't care what link you're going to send me, I believe that there is a ghost in that film. As the story goes, uh, it's a terrible story, there was a child who fell out of that high-rise apartment uh, to his death, and in the scene in which Ted Danson's mother is coming to see the baby, you can see the child in the background. And this was a big, big thing when the movie came out on VHS. Late 80s, early 90s in which you'd have a sleepover party and you'd go to Blockbuster or wherever to rent three men and a baby. And you would get to that scene and when they the camera pan you, see the kid in the background, everyone would just scream. And then you'd pause it. And it was hard to see because there'd be those little lines on it because you're pausing VHS. But I know what my eyes have seen and you cannot tell me otherwise. Listen, I saw Tom Selleck go on Conan and say, Guys, we got to stop it with the Ghost Kid thing. That was not a high-rise set. That was, a, that was not a high-rise building we were in. That was a, a set that they built that was on a sound stage. That was on the ground floor. There's no story of some kid falling out. It's not a thing. I don't care. I know what my eyes see. I know what I believe. There is nothing anybody could tell me that is not a Ghost Kid. Don't tell me it's Ted Danson in a top hat. It's not. I know what it is. I've seen it before. Ghost Kid. I I've never seen a ghost in my real life. But if I turn on Leonard Nimoy's epic uh, comedy, Three Men and a Baby, not Little Lady, Baby, I will see a ghost, and so will you. That's the Monday show, guys. Josh Allen tomorrow. Tons to talk about in Chiefs Week. Kyle Brand's basement. Thank you. Love you. Subscribe, share, like, review, et cetera, et cetera. really helps. Thanks, you guys. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.